Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Christmas sermon for the year. Luke chapter number two and verse number seven, the Bible states these words, and she brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. Lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them. The glory of the Lord shone round about them. They were sore afraid, and the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you, ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And it came to pass as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go even into Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. For a little while tonight, I'd like to minister this subject. A baby changes everything. A baby changes everything. Lord Jesus, I come to you tonight. I'm asking, Lord God, for your spirit. God, to take up residence in this place. God, give me the right words, Lord, to say and to speak and to convey. Lord, this message tonight, God, to your people. I pray, Lord, help us, God, to be attentive to your word and lean in, God, to what the Spirit may be saying, God, through lips of clay here tonight. I pray, oh, Lord, you're able to help us, God. Let it impact somebody's life. Lord, encourage them, direct them, challenge them. I pray, Lord Jesus, we'll thank you and we'll praise you, Lord, for what you do and what you accomplish, Father, in this place. In Jesus' name that I pray, amen. Everybody say amen. Amen. You may be seated tonight in the lovely name of the Lord. A baby changes everything. December 1944 marked a 40-day sale for American troops from their homeland to the notorious Iwa Jima, an island of black sand measuring five and a half miles long and two miles wide. Time magazine at that time made this clear. They said no battle of World War II, they declared not even Normandy, was watched with more intensity by the U.S. people. It had become the most heavily covered written about battle in World War II. This would be the battle in the Pacific where the invaders suffered higher casualties than the defenders. The Marines fought in World War II for 43 months, yet in one month on Iwa Jima, one-third of their total deaths 
occurred there. This photograph before you this evening is the emblem most associated with this battle. Most would testify it is an icon for that period of time in history. During that era, a representative by the name of Mike Mansfield of Montana, who would be a future ambassador to Japan, called for the flag-raising image to be adopted as a symbol of this particular tour. On the day that two of the flag raisers died in battle, Congressman Joseph Hendricks of Florida stood on the floor of the U.S. House of Representatives to introduce a bill authorizing the erection of a monument. It would be a tribute, and I quote, to the heroic action of the Marine Corps as typified by the Marines in this photograph. I provided in the bill that this picture be a model for the monument because I do not believe any product of the mind of the artist could equal this photograph in action. Never have I seen a more striking photograph. Today, outside the walls of Arlington National Cemetery in Arlington, Virginia, you can visit this monument, which at the time was the world's tallest bronze monument in their period. Even so, this photograph that you see tonight, the most reproduced photographic image in history, was the model for that immense monument in Arlington, Virginia. The reverence for this photo that's before you tonight has very far-reaching implications, and it's very encompassing. As a matter of fact, an Iowa Jima commemorative stamp was issued on July the 11th of the same year of the war. And uh, anniversary, it was on the anniversary of the founding of the Marine Corps and their reserve. It was the first stamp to ever feature living people upon it. Even presidents had to die to get their image on a stamp. But this was the first of the living to be represented upon a stamp. And it was deduced from this photograph that is before you. A common misconception even today of this photograph is that people believe this photograph is the photograph of the first flag that was raised on Iwa Jima atop the Mount Suribachi on that island. But the fact is, ladies and gentlemen, this is only the replacement flag. This is the second flag that was put upon Iwa Jima. 96 inches, uh, 96 inches by 56 inches. It was a good deal larger than the first flag that was planted on that mountain. It had been found in a salvage yard at Pearl Harbor. That was, it was rescued from a sinking ship there at Pearl Harbor on that day that would live in infamy. The photograph was taken by an Associated Press worker, a photographer by the name of Joe Rosenthal. He had missed the first flag raising, and only chance allowed him to capture the replacement flag that was raised. He had his shutter speed on his camera for all the photographers set to one four hundredth of a second. And the history states there was only about four seconds of fluid motion in order to set the replacement flag that had been attached to a scrap pipe pole into the ground. Only four seconds from the time they had it from there into the ground. And he captured one four hundredth of a second. And when he did, he made history. The history says that Rosenthal even didn't have time to look through his viewfinder to catch a glimpse of what he was about to capture. He just clicked the button and took a chance that he was going to get it right and yet now America for ages and even still yet today are enamored with this photograph 
which is not the first flag that was placed upon the hill, but a replacement flag that was just attached to a scrap piece of metal that was erected there. And so it bears to ask the question, why? As one man put it, and there was an American populace driving itself into frenzy over what? He said, over an accidental photograph of a forgotten moment, an insignificant gesture in a month filled with significant ones. Ladies and gentlemen, I've come to say to us tonight, there are things in this life labeled insignificant, but because of some attachment or association to significance, their worth and their value are heightened. By themselves, no one would think twice about them or even give them consideration. But when they're linked to greatness, their status changes. Their status becomes more appreciated. We have all at certain times in jest have spoke to one another whenever we've had opportunity to quote rub shoulders if you will with someone of importance because whenever we do that it seems to you know it, it alters our classification just for a moment of time. You're, you're viewed a little bit differently when you're rubbing shoulders with someone that others revere as important as significant as someone that's really made something of them himself and so the way that people perceive you when you rub shoulders with a person like that in that moment it's a little skewed because you're connected with importance with significance and therefore that raises your level of importance and your level of significance Doc Bradley who was one of the raisers of the flag a corpsman there he stated these words concerning this picture and all of this he said you think of that pipe he said, if it was being put in the ground for any other reason, just because there was a flag on it, that made the difference. It wasn't the first flag raised. It was the second flag, a replacement flag. It was accidentally caught by a late photographer in one four hundredth of a second. Yet it become and has became the icon for this battle. It's been the most reproduced picture in the history of the world. It was a model for the tallest bronze monument in the National Arlington Cemetery. And it has a stamp that commemorates it that had the first living individuals that were ever placed upon a stamp. And all of this resulted not from its own significance, but because it was tethered to something or some things of importance and that were significant. Someone say amen. If we can't hear for a moment of time, let's consider something else just as trivial. Let's consider a manger. The definition of the word manger is a box or trough in a stable or barn from which horses and cattle eat. There are 783,137 words in the King James Version of the Bible. Of that 783,137 words, only three of those words are the word manger. All three appearances are found in the scripture text that I read to you this evening. It was a box. It was a trough.
that was found in the stable that night it was a total element of insignificance but the the manger was so unimportant one could even conceive that some say it was hewn out of stone or hewn out of rock it would be easily conceived that was built from any leftover pieces of wood if you wanted to two by fours two by sixes two by twos it doesn't matter who cares what a manger looks like it's just a manger it's just a negligible piece of furniture that's in the stable as a matter of fact if the truth be told a stable could easily do without a manger altogether you could effortlessly feed cattle and horses right off of the stable floor if you wanted to I'm sure the cows don't matter if they ate off the floor or ate out of a manger no horse could care less where he was getting his food from as long as there was food there sheep and donkeys they'd never know the difference if you had hay on the floor or in a manger but a manger or no manger was unimportant as long as they had hay Nevertheless, and if you turn me down, turn me back up. Nevertheless, on that night in that stable, there was an irrelevant, immaterial food trough. But on that night, that manger was going to be called upon for a very brand new venture. An unimportant piece of stable furniture was going to be turned into worldly acclaim because a baby had been born in the manger. When baby Jesus was placed into that manger, it forever transformed the world's perception of the purpose of a manger and the definition of a manger. Folks, I don't care right now if it were summertime and 100 degrees in the shade. Whenever now today we hear the word manger or you see a picture of a manger, you don't think about cattle, you don't think about horses, you don't think about hay, donkeys, and sheep. But what you think about is the birth of the almighty God in Christ in the form of a child, Jesus Christ. In addition to that, whenever you add Jesus to the manger, you forever change what the manger is. You forever change the definition and how it's defined. You go on and ask some people today, and I guarantee you, ask them what a manger is, and I sincerely, you'll get a Webster's Dictionary definition of what the manger is. 99% of the time, you're going to hear that it's a place where a newborn baby was born called Christ Jesus that walked upon this earth for some 33 and a half years, that went to a cruel cross, gave his life so I could have life. It changed the definition of what a manger was. It was insignificant. There was nothing important about it but whenever it got paired with something insignificant with something important something great something righteous it altered its status hallelujah in other words the addition of baby Jesus completely changed the dynamics of a manger's definition and purpose. Time and circumstance has redefined or at least further defined what a manger is. Without Christ, it's one definition. Without Christ, it has one purpose. But with Christ, whoo, with Christ, it's an altogether different purpose and an altogether different 
definition and what a difference that is. A forever change now whenever we consider a manger, just a simple box, just a simple trough with the addition of Christ. It receives now world prominence and notoriety because it was paired with something of great significance. It brought up its status. If I can speak in the words of that old corpseman and just apply it to the manger, you think of that manger. If it was being put there for any other reason, but just because there was a baby Jesus in it, that made all the... The apostle Paul said it like this. He said, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us customarily keeping the gold and the silver in earthen jars who in the world would ever suspect something so valuable in such a rude and uncomely vessel yet Paul describes this as merely earthen vessels clay pots but the gospel the spirit that we have is the treasure earthen vessels are common earthen vessels are cheap. Earthen vessels are meager. They're minuscule. Hallelujah. They're earthy and they are earthly. They are of this world. They have nothing to boast about in and of themselves. They have no basis for feeling superior. Amen. But when the treasure is placed inside of them, the treasure doesn't gain anything from the vessel. If anything, the vessel gains everything from the glory and the majesty of the treasure. Someone say hallelujah. Baby changes everything. He transformed the ordinary mangers, feeding troughs for the basis of animals in the receptacles of his glory and of his righteousness. In talking about bringing worth to the worthless, we must not overlook New Testament scripture of a blind man in John 9 that was made to see by mud balls made by the hands of Jesus. The Bible records of John 9 and 6 when he had thus spoken he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. He spat on the ground there were a couple of components involved in these mud balls. Number one the ground the earth by by and large insignificant not of much worth in and of itself but he grabbed that and he spat on the ground now I know someone's about ready to say there is no significance in spit but this just wasn't the spit of another man this was the spit of the God man this was the spit of the holiness and majesty of God in the man Christ Jesus and so when he spat on the ground he was coupling significance with insignificance and whenever he coupled significance the divine with the insignificant the earthly he put it together and put it on the man's eyes and he said go and wash in the pool of Siloam and the Bible says that man went and he washed and he came for seeing folks whenever you get the significant grouped up with that which isn't so significant it can produce the miraculous someone say amen Psalms 103 and verse number 14 states these words it says for he knoweth our frame he remembereth that we are dust God remembers everybody say God remembers God remembers 
that he created us from the dust of the earth. He didn't create us from the dirt or from the sand. He created us from the dust. Think of this for a moment. In the scripture of Isaiah 40, 15, God speaks of the nations as the small dust of the scale, minuscule, if you will, trivial, unimportant. And think in actuality how insignificant the dust is. God used the dust to make me. God used the dust to make man. He used the lowest element, but he also used the highest substance. He used the dust from the earth, but he didn't leave it without breathing the breath of God into the insignificant. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. So to create man, God used the most insignificant and the most significant elements and it altered the status of mere dust it altered the status of being the lowest part, if you will, of the earth. Because in Proverbs, the writer says, the highest part or chief part of the dust of the world. Amen. He not even created yet. He's referring to man, that which was the lowest, that which was the basis. God is now calling the highest or the chief part of the dust of the world. Why? How can that be? Because that insignificant thing had become paired with something very important the breath of God. So God reflects now and looks back on it and said, you're not the lowest, but now you are the highest. You're not the lowest. You're the highest part, the chiefest part. Why? Because you have been connected to something of grand importance. Someone say amen. Ignis. Jan Paderewski, the famous composer, pianist, was scheduled to perform a very great concert in a great concert hall in America. It was in the evening to remember there were black tuxedos, there were long evening dresses, high society extravaganza for that place, city, and town. Present in the audience that evening was a mother with her fidgety nine-year-old son, weary of waiting, and he squirmed constantly in his seat. His mother was in hopes that her boy would be encouraged by being there to practice the piano if he could just hear the immortal Paderewski at the keyboard. And so against his wishes, he had come. And she turned just for a moment to talk with friends. Her son could not stay seated any longer. He slipped away from her side, strangely drawn to the ebony grand piano that was on the stage, a Steinway, leather tough stool sitting there, amen, with floodlights shining upon the stage, blinding whoever was up there. And without much notice from the sophisticated audience and in front of them, he sat down at the stool staring wide-eyed at the black and the white keys that was before him. And he placed his small little trembling hands upon there in the right location and began to play chopsticks. The roar of the crowd was hushed as hundreds of frowning faces turned in his direction. They were irritated, they were embarrassed, and they began to shout out, Get that boy away from there! Who bring a kid to in here to such a sophisticated gathering like this? Where is his mother? Oh, I would bow out. Somebody stop him! But backstage, the master overheard the sounds out front. 
quickly putting together in his mind what was going on and happening, he hurriedly went out, grabbed his coat, rushed toward the stage, and without one word of announcement, he stooped over behind the boy, reached around both sides, and began to improvise a counter melody to harmonize with his chopsticks. And as the two of them began to play together, Paderewski kept whispering in the boy's ear, keep going, don't quit, son. Keep on playing. Don't stop. Don't quit. And folks, it is the same with each and every one of us because we hammer away to some of our own projects and our project sometimes is ourself. And it seems like it's just as significant as chopsticks being played on a concert piano in front of a sophisticated audience. And about the time we're ready to give up, throw in the towel and say, who cares? The master comes in, leans over our shoulders, and he whispers, keep on going. Don't quit. Keep on. Don't stop. Don't give up because I'm going to improvise on your behalf. I'm going to provide just the right touch at just the right moment with just exactly what you need. What are you saying tonight, Pastor McGee? I'm saying if he can change the definition of a manger and if he can turn uh, chopsticks into something that will enthrall a very sophisticated crowd, he can take your life and my life that is very base and at low at best and raise its status into something far beyond what we can fathom, far beyond what we can dream. But we got to allow the master to improvise on our behalf. A baby would change everything in your life. I got three bottles of water. It's a long service. Amen. Yes. Hallelujah. Someone say he improvises. He improvises. He changes a manger for food into a place for majesty. Amen. Someone say he has just the right touch. He does. He can apply a mud ball composite of the earthly and the divine, and it results in heavenly miracles. He has just the right touch. And it's at, everybody say, the right moment. The right moment. He can breathe a breath into the lowest form of earth called dust, and it propels it to be the highest and the chiefest part. Let me tell you, a baby can change everything. My testimony is your testimony. It's our testimony as we sat here this evening. Without Christ, without that significance, without that importance, without that, that, that means that is great and, and eternal and majestic, I was nothing and you were nothing. The world perceived me and you as one without power, as one without direction. As a matter of fact, you and I, we were defined by the world. 
They gave us our definition. This is who we were to be and what we were going to do. The only thing I was considered any good for was just a recipient of frustration, a recipient of grief, a recipient of woe. woe. Satan, hallelujah, not the Webster's Dictionary, but Satan defined me according to his plan for my life. What he had a destiny set for me. My life had been defined as insignificant and weak and powerless, traveling a path of destruction and directionless, nothing but a box or a trough for whatever the world desired to put inside of me, a puppet on a string, if you will, hurt and full of bitterness. But in 1987... But in 1987, an eight-year-old boy, hallelujah, I shed the insignificance, I shed the weakness, I shed the powerless definition, and I became significant, I became strong, I became powerful, not because of who I was, but who I became connected to. I was just like a manger, but when you add Jesus to it, it changes its purpose, it changes its definition. A baby changes everything. How does it happen? The addition of Christ. Baby changes everything. How does that happen with the word that is known for years and eons of time as a feeding trough, but it alters because something happened. There was an addition of a baby, and the baby changed its purpose. It changed its definition. For that matter, it changed everything it came in contact with. And he's still in the changing business. How can this happen? Because he comes in and old things are passed away. And behold, all things become new. Because a baby changes everything. Brother Mason, if you'll come this evening, if you'll stand with me here tonight, listen to me tonight, folks. The answer to your life transformation It's the addition of a child. I'm not talking in normal terms. It's the addition of Christ. Life transformation, its purpose, its definition, all of it, the answer, it's in Jesus. The way to conquer that weakness of sin that may be prowling in your life, the answer to that is a baby, Jesus. You don't have to be dictated to by people's opinions and their mentalities if you just get a baby added to your life you'll never again have to be bound by Satan's directives or his decrees if you just get a baby in your life what you simply need to have if we can just bow our heads what you simply need to have is Jesus added to your life and you can have your total existence be redefined That's nice, Brother McGee. No, you don't understand the implication of this here this evening. I'm talking about right here, right now. Your life can be renovated, reconstructed, rebuilt. By all means, redefined, forever transformed. Just by the addition of Jesus to it, if you allow. from this vantage point backward 
A manger's not what a manger used to be. Some of you that are here tonight from this vantage point back, your life is not what it used to be. And whenever you search and see where was the defining moment, it's whenever I add a baby in my life. Some out here that's saying, Brother McGee, you don't understand. I would like to renovate. I'd like to reconstruct. I would like to rebuild. I would like to somehow garner a new definition for life for me. Because I'm known as this or I'm known as that or I've allowed circumstances, situations. And instead of me defining life, I've allowed life to define me. Sir, ma'am, what you need tonight is a baby because they'll change everything. You need, you need the Lord. You need Jesus. You need Jesus. He'll, he'll, he'll improve upon what you believe is insignificance. He'll take the non or unimportant in your life and he'll, ra- he'll raise that status. But you can't do it apart from him. You can't do it separated from him. You need to get connected to Jesus. You must get connected to Jesus. You got to somehow make an association with the Lord God Almighty tonight. Because a manger will no longer be a manger after he's added. A life will no longer just be a life after he's added. Trouble will not be the same trouble after he's added. A baby will change everything for you. This altar is open right now. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you, and have a blessed day.